Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Point family and happy Father's Day from one father to the other fathers in the room. I'm really, you don't have to do it again. You've already celebrated like three times. I do just want to say this uh, real quick. I just, I just need you to hear this for me. Man, if you're here and uh, you're married, you know, to a, a dude that's a dad or, you know, you're here with your dad, that kind of thing at any of our campuses joining online, you know, your dad may not be perfect, but your dad chose to get you to church on Father's Day. That's a big deal. And so, uh, man, I just... I feel like, man, increasingly, sometimes I feel like we're in a culture that it's always, you know, it's, it's uh, dads are the problem, or, you know, dads are unnecessary, that kind of thing. And uh, man, you know, here, here's just the raw stats. The stats are that there is almost no determining factor with a higher correlation percentage than a good dad. If you got a good dad, your odds of, of having a good life are, are pre- pretty good. Uh, if you end up with a, you know, absent dad, that kind of thing, the, the odds are just, they're, they're just a lot tougher. And so personally, man, just in, in a society that kind of sometimes feel, feels like it says dads are the problem, dads are unnecessary, and a government society's kind of stepping in and kind of going, hey, we'll be dad. We'll protect you. We'll provide for you. We'll indoctrinate you. We'll tell you what to think. Personally, you know, I think we need less government and more dads. That's what I think. And so, uh, man, I just, we, we love you dads. And uh, we are for you. All right, well, here's where we are today. We are, by the way, we talked about at the movies in LP News. I am extremely excited about that guy. Um, and I just wanna give a little bit of the why behind that. Uh, we're gonna go all out. Lobbies are gonna be decked out. Coke and popcorn's on your way in. All your kids at all the campuses, we got their favorite movie characters are gonna be here. I do want you to know why we're doing this. We've never done it before. Uh, it's because we've got a guiding principle here at Lake Point. Our principle is that we will do anything short of sin to reach people for Christ. And in order to reach people we've never reached before, we've gotta do things we've never done before. And so uh, we're real excited um, about At The Movies. Uh, I think it's your best chance all year to invite somebody to something that's compelling and that is specifically designed to lead them to a relationship with Christ. We're real excited about it. And I got bad news for our, for our uh, Lake Point Nation online, uh, and maybe it's compelling, kind of kind of gets here because of copyright issues that make it hard for us to broadcast those things. At the movies for those four weeks is in person only, and so you got to be here, and that's okay because there's just nothing like being in the room. For all of our uh, Lake Point Nation online, if you can't make it here, joining in from other states or countries, totally understand. We've got a best of sermon series coming up just for you, so we're excited about that too. All right. Well, here's where we are. We are in the second to last week of a series that we're just calling GOAT. That stands for greatest of all time because we are preaching through the best chapter in the best letter in the best book ever written, Romans chapter eight. Now, here's what we're doing today. Um, today, 
we are talking about pain. We're getting to addressing, Romans 8 is getting to addressing why there's pain in the world and how we can get through it. Now, really quick, before I tell this story, um, I have repeatedly made redhead jokes uh, you know, that uh, Jana has reminded me that I've kind of made those a few times. So I'm about, to be a re- I'm about to be an equal opportunity offender. She says I've got to get other people too, so just track with me, okay? Uh, I heard a story about a guy that was uh, uh, in a, a very dark restaurant waiting for a table, and as he was waiting, he just leaned over to the person next to him and said, hey, um, uh, would you like to hear a blonde joke? And as soon as he said that, <laughs> somebody's already laughing, as soon as he said that, he just felt like, man, this person's body language sort of tense up and just kind of this aura of projected anger you know, rise up and, and all of a sudden he heard this person lean over and with an intensity in her voice, she said, sir, before you tell that joke, you need to know that I'm blonde, six feet tall and a professional bodybuilder. The person sitting next to me, she's blonde, six foot two and a professional wrestler. And the person sitting next to her is blonde, six foot five and she's the kickboxing champion of the world. Do you, are you sure, do you want to tell that joke? And after a very long pregnant pause, the man said, no, I don't wanna have to explain it three times. You know, that's it, you know, that's it. <laughs> now, now, really quick. Now, some of you were like, that's not funny, okay? You're gonna hate our church because we don't take ourselves seriously at all and we take Jesus real seriously, that's it. That's how we roll. Now, what I'm not talking about in this message, sometimes we bring pain on ourselves. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about pain that comes to you just like from being in this world. I'm talking about the moment that the doctor looks at you over a table and says the words, is terminal. I'm talking about the moment that your spouse unexpectedly comes to you and says, I can't do this anymore. I'm talking about the moment when your teenager fires back in a heated conversation, the words, I hate you. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the eight-year-old boy in my neighborhood that I'm praying for this week who loves to play sports, just found out he's got a total blockage in his heart, and the doctor says he's gotta get a pacemaker to keep him alive, he'll never be able to play sports again. I'm talking about those moments where like you didn't see it coming, and here's the question that kinda raises up in those moments, here's the question. How do you get through what you're going through? How do you get through what you're going through? Okay, now Romans 8, answers this question. I wanna give you this logic real quick. Okay, Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible because it starts with no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Starts with no condemnation and ends with no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no separation. Now, that begs the question, if that's true, and there is no condemnation from God for those who are in Christ Jesus, and there's no separation with God for those who are in Christ Jesus, it begs the question, well then, why is life so daggum hard sometimes? Why do miscarriages happen? Why are there cancer diagnoses? Why does trauma shape somebody's life? Why does that stuff happen? And Romans 8 answers those, those questions. So we don't do this all the time, but I just really wanna do it this week. At all of our campuses right now, can we stand for the reading of God's word? Just out of reverence for the word of God. So let's stand together and I'm gonna read this and we'll, let's soak it in. Bible says, starting in verse 19, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Why? In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom of the, and glory of the children of God. 
we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Bookmark that in your heads. Right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, watch this, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself, he intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Why? For those who, whom God foreknew, he also predestined, watch this, to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Now, if you're asking the question, man, you guys can have a seat. <laughs> I forgot to do that at 9.30. <clears throat> I just thought they really liked me. You know, that's, all right. If you're asking the question, hey, how can I get through what I'm going through, this passage, it gives us three things to get us through. It gives us uh, perspective, purpose, and prayer, okay? Now, I gotta hit these quickly so you track with me. Perspective, purpose, and prayer, all right? Number one, perspective. Now, before I start preaching any theology, let me do some philosophy really quick because this issue is the arguably the most common issue that causes somebody to walk away or to be averse to faith in Jesus or belief in God in general. And like I said, let me do some philosophy before I do some theology. Here's the thinking. Somebody gets into a season of pain and life is really hard. They see somebody walk through pain that was a very faithful, loving person, that sort of thing. And they immediately think this. They think, man, if God is loving and everything that happens is his will, he's in control, well then the world simply wouldn't be like this or I wouldn't be experiencing the pain I'm experiencing. Now, at this point, that person has one of two logical steps they can take. This is what usually happens. If they're a super religious person, they go, man, God must be angry with me. That's the only explanation. God's angry with me. Or, and this is more, far more common in my generation and down right now, or they go, man, God probably just doesn't even exist. Uh, if the world's this jacked up and there's no way that a loving God could, could be in control. So God probably just doesn't exist. Now, that's a person I wanna talk to really quick. And I just want to point out to you that jettisoning, jettisoning a belief in God does not solve a problem logically, it creates one. Now, let me explain this really quick, and I don't have much time to spend here, so let me just, just kind of track with me. If you believe that there is nothing but this violent, bloody world, there is nothing but what is natural you can see, taste, and touch, there's nothing but this world that's full of cancer and miscarriage, Alzheimer's and human trafficking. And you believe that there is no standard, no existence above or outside of this world by which you can judge this world. Well, then you have absolutely no resources to say that anything in this world is either right or wrong. You, it just is. Why? Think about this for a second. Because in order for there to be a moral law, there has to be a moral lawgiver. 
And if you jettison a belief in a moral lawgiver, you lose a standard outside of this world by which you can judge the things that happen in this world as either right or wrong. So if you jettison a belief in a moral lawgiver, you then have no logical standard to say things like slavery is wrong, oppression is wrong, murder and abuse are wrong, because guys, think about this. That's just the way the world always has been and nothing except the world exists. In fact, if you're in this spot right now and you're really struggling, maybe you're kicking the tires on faith and you're really struggling to believe in God, or maybe, maybe you don't and you're more of an agnostic person, let me just for a second turn the question back on you and I want you to examine your beliefs with the same level of skepticism you're using to examine my beliefs. Okay, Th- think about this for a second. Here's my question. If bloody violent nature, all the scientists say, nature is red in tooth and claw. If bloody violent nature is all there is, and all of human history has been driven forward by nothing but natural selection, the strong eating the weak, well then what standard are you appealing to to say that it's wrong for strong nations to destroy weak nations? Or how can you say that it's wrong for strong people to abuse weak people? What standard are you using to say that it's wrong for culturally strong races to oppress culturally minority races? You don't have a standard that you can appeal to to say that those things are wrong. So jettisoning a belief in God does not solve a problem of evil. It creates a far larger one. Now, what Romans 8 does is it says, hey, let me solve this problem for you in a totally different way. You just need a different perspective on the origins of evil and what God, God's attitude towards those things. So look at this in verse 20. Notice in verse 20, Paul says, for the creation was, quote, subjected to futility. Some of your Bibles say subjected to frustration. Now, we're still doing a, a little philosophy, so track with me. The implication is that creation as it is now, this world as it is now, is not how the world always has been. Now, let me, let me kind of take you back to the story of the Bible. What the Bible teaches is that when God created everything, he originally created everything where everything was good and perfect. He created a world where there was life, but no death, food, but no obesity, come on, somebody, relationships, but no hurt. He created a world where there was no tears, death, sorrow, or sin, which means there was no cancer, no miscarriages, no war, no abuse. And how good he is to top it all off, the first command he gave the first people was be fruitful and multiply. That's Hebrew for bow, chicka, wow, wow. That's what that means. That's how good God is and how he created everything. But... According to the story the Bible gives us, God gave mankind free agency, the ability to choose whether to live with him in loving relationship or to rebel against him and go our own way. And we chose to rebel against God's good design. And as a result of sin, everything under mankind's dominion, God had placed creation under mankind's dominion, was, quote, subjected to frustration. Now, really quick, I realize that there is a mystery to the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Because there is no way to read Romans 8 other than this. The world as it is now with cancer and injustice, abortion and eight-year-olds that need pacemakers. This world as it is now is not a reflection of how God created the world. It's a reflection of how sin has corrupted the world. Let, let me say this in a, total, in a totally different way. 
This right now is not a perfect world where everything is as God wants it to be. This is a broken world where nothing right now is as God wants it to be. You have to have that perspective. Now, really quick, if you're like, ah, Josh, I don't know, sketchy. Let, let me give you an example from the Bible, okay? Uh, think about John, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is John chapter 11. Okay, John chapter 11. Um, it's Jesus. Jesus was constantly at weddings and funerals. And I'll be really honest with you. Uh, as a pastor, if I've got to choose between doing a wedding and a funeral, I'm choosing the funeral. One less person to be frustrated at me. You know, that's kind of my mentality. That's just being honest, okay? Now, <clears throat> Jesus in this passage is at a funeral. And one of his good friends, a dude named Lazarus, has just died. Lazarus's two sisters, so his family, called to Jesus like, Jesus, hey, come, can you help us? Jesus is quote unquote late. That's a whole different sermon. Jesus gets there and Lazarus is dead. One of my favorite uh, verses in the King James Bible is, is hey, Jesus, you've been there three days and behold, he stinketh. And so he's there and Jesus gets there and he looks around and uh, he sees a tomb that holds a dead body inside of it. He sees mourners weeping tears. He sees a family separated from a family member by the sheet of death. He probably sees parents who have outlived their child. The worst nightmare imaginable for a parent. And then the Bible says that Jesus was, quote, deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. Some translations say that he was angry. And then it's that verse you memorized when you first started coming to Sunday school, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Now, right now, you're my seminary class. Class, pop quiz. If Jesus is getting ready to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead in only eight verses, in about 60 seconds, Jesus is gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, why in the world is he angry and weeping? Think about that. Jesus is looking at all these things. He knows Lazarus is getting ready to raise. Why is he weeping? Here's what Bible scholars say. Bible scholars say Jesus is looking around at this scene and he's seeing a tomb with a dead body in it and he's seeing a family separated from their family members. He's looking at parents who outlive their child, mourners, tears, and sorrow. And Jesus, from the perspective of the eternal Godhead, is thinking, it was never supposed to be this way. It was never supposed to be this way. There was never supposed to be tombs. There was never supposed to be dead bodies. There was never supposed to be parents who outlived their children, tears, death, sorrow, or sin. None of this was what was supposed to happen. Remember, this world as it is now is not a perfect world where everything is as God wants it. It is a broken world where nothing is as God wants it. But, watch this, but because of God's great love for us, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he experienced the greatest pain that anyone in history has ever experienced. When he went to the cross, he defeated sin, death, and the devil. And the Bible says that someday he will return to wipe away every tear from every eye. The book of Revelation says that then death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will have passed away. Guys, there is coming a day when there will be no more cancer, there will be no more miscarriages, where no parent will ever outlive their child ever again. There is coming a day where no addiction ever robs you of a loved one while they are still alive and where Duke never wins another basketball game. There is coming a day for all of those things. Now listen, you may hear those things and you may be going, yeah man, okay, that's awesome. But why doesn't he do that right now? Like I'm in the middle of this pain now and he could do something about it and he's not. What is he waiting for? The Bible answers that question. Uh, look at what it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. Here's what it says. 
it says the Lord isn't really being slow about keeping his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anybody to be destroyed, but he wants everybody to repent. So what the Bible says is God is looking at all this. You may be going like, yeah, God, why are you letting all this injustice and pain, death, loss, trauma, abuse, why are you letting all this stuff happen? Like, you could stop this. What are you waiting for? Here's what the Bible says. He's waiting for you. He was waiting for you to have a chance to come to him and be saved. Think about Jesus sitting on his throne the year before you were saved. So I was saved in 1998. Think about Jesus in 1997. And Jesus up there and he's like, man, like all this is awful, awful. Nothing is happening like I want it to happen. I can't wait to come back. I can't wait to end all this stuff. I want to do that. But there was something he wanted even more. Josh Howerton to have a chance to be saved and come to heaven with him forever. See, that's what God is doing. He's waiting for as many people as possible to come to him. He's waiting for the moment he could destroy evil. He was waiting for the moment he could destroy evil without destroying you. So think about this. You've got to have this perspective because if you don't, watch this, here's what'll happen. If you don't have that perspective, when deep pain comes in your life, you'll blame God and run from him instead of trusting God and running to him. Okay, that's one, perspective. Number two, this passage gives us purpose. It gives us purpose, okay? Now, hang with me. Studies show that human beings are able to endure enormous amount, like enormous amounts of pain as long as we know that there's a good purpose for the pain. We can make it. What we can't do is make it through purposeless pain, pointless pain, a pain that doesn't do any, anything good, okay? Now, what Romans 8 does is it looks at the pain of the world and it uses the analogy of childbirth. Childbirth. Okay, now, I'm gonna need some help from the moms in the room. Newsflash, um, I have never had a baby. <clears throat> I've had symptoms. Uh, weight gain, irritability, water retention. <laughs> I've had symptoms. Never had a baby, okay? Uh, and Jan and I, we're a three times adoptive family, so our, we've never had a biological child, okay? But Jana has been in the room with a good friend in labor and delivery. So uh, here's what I need. I need help from our moms. Moms. How many of you would look at the pain of childbirth and you'd say, man, it was worth it? Like, raise your hands, do them real high right now. That's right, okay, look around, lots of hands. All our campuses, lots of hands. Good, it's good, right answer. Good job, mom, okay. Now, moms, how many of you wanna go through that same pain all over again for no reason at all? Any, let me, you got? Exactly right, nobody. See, we can make it through pain as long as there's a great purpose. It's pointless pain that we're like, I'm out, tap, tap, I'm out, I'm totally out. Now, think about the analogy of childbirth. It is fascinating, it's fascinating to me, if childbirth is so excruciatingly awful, how in the world do we get so many people? That's about, you know, first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, beast, false prophet, and antichrist. It's like, how in the world do we get so many people if pregnancy is that bad? Well, here's why. Because every mom knows that's been through it, they know like there's this moment where it's like pain, 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 push, 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 push. But then there comes that moment of unspeakable glory. We're like, baby comes out, and man, it looks a lot rougher than you think. 
You know, you're looking around, all the doctors are wearing like NASCAR suits, they look like a pit crew. They, and, then, and then they put the baby in that little McDonald's keep the french fries hot machine, you know what I'm talking about? And they, they do that thing. But then after that, there's the, comes that moment where that mom gets handed that baby she's carried for nine months. And she holds it in her hand and looks deep in his or her eyes and she's like, man, like you're mine. And that leads to innumerable priceless moments as a parent. Um, moments like, like I got a two-year-old Hudson right now and he's doing this thing where he's two and every now and then he'll get real still in my arms and he'll lock eyes with me and I'll just hold little Hudson and I'll say, buddy, I love you. And he'll just look right back and right now he'll say, okay. It's like, all right, great. It's like what I can get. So it leads. <laughs> He's doing that right now. It leads to, the, but it really does. It, it, all the, the, the pain, it leads to these precious moments where now you look back at the pain of childbirth and you think, man, that pain was light and momentary compared to the glory that was getting ready to be revealed. Romans 8 says that is the way that all pain is in the life of a Christian. Here's a promise from Romans 8. You are never going through purposeless pain. You are never going through purposeless pain. Theologians debate about whether or not God causes pain or God allows pain. I don't know, here's what I do know. He always uses pain. He always uses pain. Now, at this spot in the sermon, I'm just giving you a total transparency. I had about three minutes in, in this sermon that was a lot more entertaining than what I'm about to say. But my primary job is not to entertain you, it's to help you. So this next three minutes of the sermon is probably the most helpful three minutes of the sermon for somebody that's walking through pain. You've gotta understand that the Bible says God has four purposes for your life. This is the reason you exist, four purposes for your life. Number one, God wants you to come to know him. We call that salvation, that's first thing. After you come to know God, he wants you to find freedom from your issues, okay? We call that discipleship. After you come to know God and find freedom, then God, there comes a moment where, where you discover your calling. We call that calling. Discover your calling. Two most important days of your life, the day you're born and the day you discover why. There comes a moment where you figure out, oh, that's why God put me on this planet with these talents and these skill sets. Discover calling. And then last is God wants you to make a difference in this world for his glory and other people's good. We call that ministry. Now, watch this. A lot of people know God has those four purposes for their lives. Here's what very few people understand. He uses pain to accomplish all four of them. He uses pain to accomplish all four of them. Think about this. When do you come to know God? Guys, all the time people talk about, oh man, you know, I met with God, it was a mountaintop experience. Can I be super honest with you? Rock bottom has taught me way more about God than mountaintop experiences ever will. You say, what does the Bible say? It says God is near to the brokenhearted. So it's when you're in pain that God is closest to you. See, here's how this works. When you have a pain you can't endure, you'll learn to depend on his strength like Job. It's when you've got a sin or a temptation you can't conquer, that's when you'll learn to depend on his sufficient grace like Paul. It's when you have a betrayal or a desertion that you just can't take, that's when you learn his love like David. When you've got a season of sadness, that's when you learn to depend on the joy of the Lord as your strength like Nehemiah. Why? Because you'll never realize God is all you need until God is all you have. See, it's in pain that we come to know God the deepest. Think about how you, think about this. How do you find freedom? 
This passage says that we were predestined, that's a whole different sermon, we were predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know why God saved you? Not to give you a happy, pain-free, carefree life. That's not why God saved you. You'll get that someday in glory. That's not why God saved you on this earth. He saved you to make you like Jesus. That's why God saved you. Now, a lot of people know that, but here's the corollary. In order for God to make you like Jesus, he has to take you through everything Jesus went through. Guys, God did not spare Jesus from loss. God did not spare Jesus from pain. He didn't spare Jesus from betrayal. Why would you think that he would spare you from those things, okay? We don't change when we, quote, see the light. We change when we feel the heat. It's in pain that we get freedom from our issues. Think about how you discover your calling. Whole different sermon, but you just need to know this. It's one of the things I'm most passionate about. Your greatest ministry will probably come from your deepest misery. That's what God does. You've gotta have a trial in order to have a testimony. There's no other way. Um, Right after I preached that little one-sentence sermon, I got an email from a woman in our church named Trisha Vincent that our elders licensed for ministry a few months ago. Um, Trisha said this, she just said, hi Josh, just wanna thank you for your message this past Sunday. My husband and I, we lost a baby eight years ago, the day that we delivered him. The Lord asked me to go back to school uh, around that time six years ago, and I started at Dallas Theological Seminary with no clue why. Then last week, I had my first shift as a hospital chaplain, and the first person that I helped was a mother who had just lost her four-month-old baby. I walked her out of the hospital, ministered to her, and prayed for her. My misery has become my ministry. God will do that for you. Your mess will become your ministry. Your pain will become your platform. Your trial will become your testimony. God uses pain to help you discover your calling. Now, last one. God uses pain to help you make a difference. It's when life is hardest that our witness for Christ is loudest. That's just always how it is. Um, have, you, have you guys ever seen those, uh, those cardboard testimonies like on, on uh, social media? I think we've actually done this at Lake Point. It's when there's a big line of people that come out on stage and they got a, a piece of cardboard. And on one side of the cardboard is like a one sentence description of their life before Christ. And then on the other side is a one sentence description of life after Christ. My favorite one of those I've ever seen It was like a couple in their mid-40s that came out, and when you saw them come out, you thought that they were husband and wife. But they come out, and the woman had on on her first side, it just said, diagnosed with aggressive stage four breast cancer. And then the man on his side, it just said, I was the doctor that diagnosed her, comma, agnostic and antagonistic towards faith. And then he flips his, and on the backside of his, it says, through her patience and joyful hope, I came to faith in Christ. And then she flips hers over and it's just two words, worth it. Worth it. You see, it's when our pain is the deepest that our witness is the loudest and God uses pain to help us make a difference in this world. I promise you, there's a purpose for your pain. There is a reason for that wreck in your life. And God promises you, he, not everything that happens to you is good. He promises that he will work good out of everything bad that happens to you. There's a purpose, he gives us purpose. So, so perspective, purpose, and the last one's much shorter, is prayer. It's prayer. Now, you may notice that in this passage, it talks a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. I, I just need you to know this. Listen, there are a lot of 
Christians that, you know, their functional trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and they, they really don't think or talk about the Holy Spirit at all. I've just got a deep, ever-growing conviction there is just no way to make it through this world as a Christian without a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's a, one of my favorite uh, pastors. He's a, a, a very, very senior saint. I think he's in his mid or upper 80s. He's got him R.T. Kendall, Presbyterian minister, and he just said this. He said, there are word churches and there are spirit churches. There has been a great divorce in the church between word and spirit. And like any divorce, some kids go with a mom, some kids go with a dad. Revival happens when you bring those two back together. That is a word. Now listen, Lake Point Church, we don't want to be a, an or church, word or spirit. We wanna be an and church. This is word and spirit, knowledge and experience, precision and power, mystery of the spirit, clarity of the word. We want all those things. And like I said, I don't know how you make it through this life as a Christian without that. So I just need to say something in a very straightforward way. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. He still does that, and he wants to speak to you. The Holy Spirit appears 59 times in the book of Acts. In 39 of them, he's speaking. So, so think about this. Sometimes the Spirit speaks to us for God. But this passage says sometimes the Spirit speaks to God for us. That's different. So this pastor says, man, you get in pain and you just start groaning all this terrible, you know, two word, God, please help, I can't do this. All those prayers, the spirit translates them on their way up and he makes sure that the right request gets brought before God's throne. Now, let me give an example of this and I'm gonna land the plane. Um, Jan and I, we've got a, a six-year-old daughter named Felicity. Felicity was born with a pretty significant birth defect called piriform aperture stenosis. Um, what that means, uh, that's a long way to say it will always sound like she's breathing through wet sponges. We call her snuffleupagus. That's what Felicity is. And Felicity, by the time she was five, Felicity had had seven surgeries. We lived in the ER, ER uh, when we first brought Felicity home. Um, but what happened when Felicity was like two, three, and four, Felicity started knowing what surgery was and that it hurts and so on her way into surgery, she would realize what was happening and it would break our hearts. She would just start going like, oh, please, no. Like, please, I don't wanna do this. I can't do this again. Mommy and daddy, please, no, no, no. Crying and weeping and tears. Please don't make me experience this pain. But listen, she was three and we were in our 30s and we understand some biology, physiology, anesthesiology. We understand some things that Felicity's little three-year-old mind can't comprehend. And so even though Felicity asked not to experience that pain, we, watch this, we didn't give her what she asked for, we gave her what she would have asked for if she knew everything that we know. We know that that short pain will lead to long-term more comfort and health for her. So we didn't give her what she asked for. We gave her what she would have asked for if she knew everything that we know. Now watch this. Guys, the distance between a three-year-old and me is infinitely smaller than the intellectual distance between you and the eternal and sovereign God. If God is the size of the Pacific Ocean and your mind is the size of a Coke can, you should expect there to be some things that don't fit. So what this passage says, it says, when we pray, the Spirit intercedes with groans too deep for words. We don't know what to pray for as we should. So the Spirit takes those prayers to God and he prays for what we actually need. Here's what that means. That when we pray, the Holy Spirit translates our prayers on the way up 
And God doesn't always give us what we ask for. He gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. That's what this means. Now, let me move this to illustrate this and and finish this up. Here's what I know. I know some of you hear that and you're like, yeah, man, that's fine, but I've been in this pain for like five, 10, 30 years, and I just don't know if I can go anymore. And here's what you feel like right now. You guys remember when God told Joshua to walk around the walls of Jericho, a pain for the nation of Israel, and he told him to walk around them seven times. And he said, on the seventh time, the walls are gonna come down and I'll deliver you from that pain. But have you ever noticed, Joshua never tells his soldiers the deliverance is coming on the seventh rotation. So I want you to imagine this. These soldiers, they get out there and like, okay, man, like Joshua said, and like God has spoken to Joshua before. And so like, okay, we're just gonna do this thing and yeah, it's gonna be good. So rotation one, they're like, it's gonna be good. And then rotation two, I bet they were like, uh, okay, like, hey, bro, what's the plan here? Um, I like trained my whole life to fight and you're telling me like not to fight, but just to walk in circles and this doesn't feel, I feel kind of stupid. I feel kind of stupid, rotation two. And then rotation three, they're probably like, okay, Joshua. Okay, man, like, why are we doing this? We're doing what you said to do. We're being faithful to what you said. God said he was gonna deliver us from this. Now we're on rotation four. God said he was gonna deliver us from this. We're still walking these walls, but like, I'm not seeing anything happening. Is God actually there? And then they get to rotation five and they're like, okay, now I'm ticked. I'm starting to get ticked off because God said he was gonna deliver us. We've been faithful for five rotations and we're seeing nothing happen. Now we're on rotation six. Honestly, man, I think I'm out. I think this is, this is stupid. It's not working. God's not doing anything. I think I'm done. And can you imagine that those guys, many of them would have wanted to give up on rotation six when they were just one more lap away from deliverance. Now listen. Some of you, I wanna talk to the person who in your pain, you feel like giving up right now. And in your marriage, you've tried and you've tried and you've tried, and it just seems like nothing is ever gonna bring you back to how it was supposed to be. Or maybe it's like your kids, you've got a kid that ran away from God and you've been praying for 20 or 30 years and it seems like the more you pray, the worse they get. And you're like, man, I'm so tired. And God, it just doesn't seem like you're doing anything. Or maybe you're in an addiction and it's like you've dedicated and you've rededicated and it just seems like nothing's gonna bring you out of that pit. Or maybe you're you're praying for healing. Maybe you're praying for the healing of your eight-year-old son who has to have a pacemaker. (laughs) And right now you're like, man, like I'm going and God, your word says this but I'm seeing nothing happen and you wanna give up. And and here's what this is like. Is some of you, it's like when you first started in the pain, you were like, okay, God, I trust you. Like you're good, you're gonna bring good. And then you get to rotation two and it's like, okay, it's not happening yet, but like, I'm gonna keep going. I'm praying, I'm being faithful, I'm being faithful. You get to rotation three and it's like, man, okay, I'm trying to do what you said to do, God. 
and I'm praying, but I'm not seeing anything happening. And honestly, I'm starting to feel a little stupid. You get to rotation four, and it's like, okay, God, I'm like the persistent widow. I'm gonna wake up every day. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna seek. I'm gonna knock. God, I'm like Habakkuk. Why do you let the wicked prosper? Why do the righteous suffer? Now I'm on rotation five. God, this doesn't make any sense. Where are you right now? I'm starting to get a little ticked off. And you're on rotation six, and it's like, man, I'm going, but I think I'm done. I think I just wanna throw in the towel. I wanna quit. And listen, what I wanna say to you right now is I wanna say, listen, you might be closer than you think to God bringing a breakthrough through that pain. Do not give up on six. Don't stop on six. Don't stop on six. You might be one more rotation away from God breaking through and him doing that thing that you've always prayed to do. What does the Bible say in Galatians 6, 9? It says, let us not become weary in doing good. Why? For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So don't give up. Don't stop on six. You keep going, you stay faithful, you walk with him, and in due time, you will reap a harvest if you just fix your eyes on Jesus. I wanna pray for you that the spirit would press that into your souls right now. So at all of our campuses, can I pray for you? And right now, Father, would you please make this a felt reality in people's lives. Lord, your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted and you save the crushed in spirit. So please do that right now. God, I pray for us at church that we would be people full of love, life groups full of extended arms to lift weary heads and lift drooping arms because we are brothers and we are sisters in the faith and we are here for each other. So Father, we love you. We commit ourselves to you afresh with fresh faith in the crucified, risen name of Jesus. Amen and amen, 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 amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, Join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital.